Hello, hello, welcome, and welcome back to Blazers for Goalposts. 18 years ago, a World Cup took place in South Korea and Japan. It was the first time the tournament had been staged on the continent of Asia, and for me and my friends, it was our first World Cup that we could really follow and get into. And so because of that, it's very special. It's these types of football memories that are the embers to spark a greater football fandom fire within a kid just getting into the beautiful game. I was only four during France 98, and I was exactly four months old when USA 94 kicked off, so unfortunately I didn't really have the capacity to enjoy those tournaments at the time. Instead, it was this World Cup in the Far East that would be my first one in 2002. Apart from the crazy time difference between home and Korea and Japan, which meant matches at odd hours of the day in England, the tournament was amazing, and it had everything you could want from your first World Cup. Quality players, quality football, drama on and off the pitch, scandals off and on the pitch too, shocks and upsets, it had the lot. And here to help me dissect it all are some old friends. Before we get on to the tournament itself, we're going to begin today with some mini introductions. And the theme today is songs from 2002. Which songs did you guys think of for good or bad reasons when you rolled back the years 18 years on the clock? For me, I got to shout out my man Craig David and his single Seven Days. Craig David is a legend and he also has two first names, so what's not to like about that? Joe, my co-host, is on the call. Joe, good to have you here as always. Before you tell me what your favorite song from 2002 was though, how are you? And can you remember what Craig was up to on each of the days of the week that he was talking about in that song? <laughs> Hi Kai, I'm good, thanks. Uh, <laughs> God. I mean, I, I am good. Now, that, that's really just hit me, that question. Man, drink <laughs> on Monday, um, something Tuesday, making love by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, chilled on Sunday. So, yeah, you, you got ahead of yourself because he met her on Monday and then he took her for a drink on Tuesday. Uh, but, okay. Yeah, that's why but, I couldn't remember what Tuesday was. That makes, yeah. <laughs> that makes more sense then. Joe, uh, Joe just skips to the good bit usually. <laughs> exactly. Well, hey. Um, but yeah, um, I'm very good, thanks. And um, my song of choice from 2002 comes from my namesake, Fat Joe. Um, his song, What's Love, featured Naughty's icon, Ashanti. And it happens to be a bit of a banger. Lovely. Well, besides Joe, we have John Walters with us today. Welcome back to the podcast. Like your fellow Welshman, Gareth Bale. Uh, presumably you've been too busy golfing to join us recently. Is that what's been up, John? I've been uh, golfing. I've been eat, uh, eat out to help outing. I've been watching a lot of football. But my favourite song from back in 2002 would probably be Dilemma uh, by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland because it's just such a tune. Yeah. Uh, Yanni is with us again today too. And of course, I wouldn't dream of recording an episode like this one without Yanni. Him and I are very much inject the football nostalgia directly into my veins sort of people. Uh, how are you, Yanni? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me again. And yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be on a show about the thing that really, I guess, sparked my interest in football. Like you said at the beginning, it was the first World Cup and the thing after which I started following football more readily. Um, in terms of songs, I, like the first thing that came to my head is a piece of music um, is not a song as such and I don't know if it has a name but it is the music at the beginning of the FIFA World Cup 2002 video game when they have like the montage of various players and teams scoring a goal and then lifting the cup 
and it has a kind of vaguely Far Eastern feel to it. Um, but then I couldn't think of any other thing from 2002. I just had that song in my head on loop and it was kind of epic. And I think it was probably also my first football FIFA video game. So that's the thing. Check it out if you haven't already, because it's a bit of a banger as well. Yeah, I don't remember the song as much, but I do remember that video game. It was quite strange. It was like similar to FIFA, a regular one in many ways, but then you also had like star players on your teams that had a physical like star-shaped icon, I believe, that yes. would uh, like be presented over their head and they had more special abilities. You also had this like strange option to curve corners and you like had a physical arrow. I was always trying to score an, an Olympico-style uh, corner goal uh, on that game. Anyway... Um, I will just reference if you heard any strange noises during the introduction that uh, directly behind the wall that I'm propped up against here essentially is some construction. Uh, there's a long story behind that involving quite, actually, it's quite morbid. So we won't dwell. Maybe that's a story for another, uh, another uh, podcast. But um, forgive, forgive the strange noises. What time is it? Game time. What game are we playing? Ooh, ah, uh, yeah. I'm looking for you all to name a player who featured for his country at the 2002 World Cup. I'll give you the first clue, and we'll see how it goes from there. Play along if you're listening. My first clue is that he was just 20 years old at this World Cup. Ooh. Is it Michael Owen? No, it's not Michael. No. Is he European? No, he's not European. Okay, South American. Not South American either. Okay, we can rule those two. I'll say that he, he joined his first major club from a notoriously linked team, similar to the Red Bull situation, how they have like clubs across different countries. Um, this club that he joined from had a link to another club, and then he joined them. Was this um, that Belgian club that Arsenal had a link with? No, it's actually a very, very direct link, but don't dwell on that too hard because you might confuse yourselves. Uh, is he from Africa? He is from Africa. At the time okay. of the World Cup, he was playing, I believe, in the Netherlands. Did he ever make it to the Premier League? He did make it to the Premier League in 2007. God. He was loaned to a Premier League club and then signed for them the next season. Interesting. Did you? Did we know the position? Was it a striker, did you say? He's a attacking midfielder winger, probably most known for being a winger. Okay. Did the team he played for at this World Cup get out of the group stages? No, they actually did better than I thought they would, but I think it was on goal difference that they did not make it out of the group stages. Anyway, so... Senegal did. No, it's not uh, a Senegalese player. Nigeria? Uh, yeah. It's Nigerian player? No. a bit of a curveball because it's not the typical African nation that you might think of. North, North Africa. African. It is not North African. South Africa? Is it South Africa? <laughs> oh! It's Stephen Pino. It's Stephen bloody Pino. It is Stephen Pino. Stephen Pino. <laughs> no, well done, Joe. That's a good yeah. shot. That's a great um, shot. I thought that was, that was quite, a, quite a good one, Stephen Pino. Yeah. yeah, it's basically like, yeah. I sure I had no idea who he was at the time, but apparently a 20-year-old Stephen Pino rocked up for South Africa at this World Cup. 
Anyway, I, I'd have a bit of a bonus one for you guys. Wait, Kai, can I just ask, what's the club link that you were talking about? He played for Ajax Cape Town, I think, and then moved to Ajax. Oh. Or he played for that, like, South African Ajax establishment. Anyway, this next one is honestly very, very obscure, and there's going to be probably a link, uh, a clue at some point that I'll, I'll give to you that will give it away, but he, I'll say that he's still playing right now. <laughs> so he's 43, he's still playing uh, with the club Boston River. So he's American. Uh, Boston River is not located in America. That was a bit of a, a trick. Oh. Are they located in an English-speaking country? Uh, no. Are they Canadian? No, not in America. <laughs> uh, no. Oh. Not Canadian. Wait. Um, is he a goalkeeper? He's not a goalkeeper. Um, he, interestingly, is, like I said, still playing. I think he's a player-manager, but throughout his career, he's had... 34 different spells with clubs. Did he Journey, ever play in the Premier League? He never played in the Premier League. He played in Spain, but, and in his, he was signed by an Israeli club, although he didn't make an appearance. But he, uh, uh, he played his entire career in his like home continent, which is South America. Is he Brazilian? No. He, this is, a, I'll give you a bigger clue. He was more notorious. He's not honestly that well known, guys, but. There was a standout moment in his career at a World Cup, a later World Cup. He would have a standout moment. Is it Martin Palermo? No, but he's actually quite a similar player to Palermo in the what? Yeah, the way that they're like kind of target men. Uh, oh, I think I might have it. Yeah, Yanni. Is he from Uruguay? He is, and he's actually the seventh all-time top scorer in their history. Oh, I think I've got it. Yeah, go on then. Um, is it? Yeah. No, I think Joe said it, but go on, Yanni. No, is it like I was going? Uh, is it Sergio Abreu? It's uh, Sebastian. Sebastian Abreu. But yeah, you guys got it. He kind of had that Penenka against Ghana in that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, John. Oh well, yeah. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> A World Cup simply isn't a World Cup without a few shocks. At every tournament, there's always a few jaw-dropping moments. But it's fair to say that at the 2002 World Cup, there was a fair few moments that made us all gasp. Now, there's one game I think we have to talk about when we're talking about shocks in the 2002 World Cup. And that is the opening game of the tournament. France, the holders of the tournament at this point, and actually they are in, in this, this moment in time also the holders of the World Cup versus Senegal, Le Lion de la Taranga, the Lions of Taranga, as Wikipedia says their nickname is. They played each other, um, and it was Senegal's first appearance at a World Cup. Um, obviously, France hotly tipped to win the game fairly easily, but what actually happened was there was a shock. Papa Bupa Diop, who would go on to play in the Premier League for a few teams, put um, Senegal 1-0 up in the 30th minute. And, well, that's how the game stayed. They won 1-0. And um, I remember it mostly for the Senegal celebration um, when Diop scored. So when um, he scores, he ran to the corner, took his shirt off. The Senegal players dance around the shirt in a circle and then start doing what I can only describe as a sort of Irish-style jig which was quite funny. Um, but um, 
Yeah, what guys, what are your memories of Senegal at that tournament? And can you, I know we were quite young at the time, but did you appreciate how much of a shock that this result was? Um, I don't think I did at the time appreciate it. I wasn't, I, I, I was aware that France were world and European champions, but it, it seems like almost just another game. So to kind of be very reductive about it. Um, but I remember Senegal having, you know, these exciting players and El Hazjouf, probably played better in July 2002 than he did at any other point in his career, which obviously earned him the move to Liverpool. But I was watching a thing, FIFA have made these sort of short films about various moments in World Cups. And the added significance that I guess I appreciate more now is like the, the significance for Senegal was that it was this country playing against the colonial power, which, you know, hadn't left that long ago and a lot of the French players were of Senegalese origin a lot of the Senegalese players could have chosen to play for France if they if they wanted to or were chosen but they didn't and they were representing Senegal so it was much much more meaningful in that sense in a way that I had no idea of at the time. I might be wrong but um, I want to say that potentially even their coach was French um, which now that I'm thinking back has just reminded me of another crazy French coach at the time, because I'm pretty sure that Japan's coach was French for that tournament. <laughs> Probably. Um, possibly. <laughs> French coaches get around in the internet. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, they just won the World Cup, so you don't, it's not a surprise that all these countries, I guess, wanted a, the next French coach to take them into the to this World Cup in the Far East. But um, uh, we've spoken already about South Africa in Gloria, and we've spoken about Senegal, but I think there's another African country that we're going to be be talking about next yeah and from the lions of taranga to the indomitable lions which is probably the best nickname in football <laughs> um cameroon were at the 2002 world cup and um, then they, they already had quite a sort of cult world cup status after the heyday of roger miller um et al back in 1990 but i think for me one of the parts of anticipating a world cup part of the excitement is fueled by the release of new kits and getting to see what countries are going to be lined up in when they when they arrive at the tournament and Cameroon produced maybe one of the most talked about and controversial kits ahead of this World Cup actually they played and won the African Cup of Nations in 2002 wearing what some people might refer to as a tank top other as a I, I won't say sweater vest now but it's not, um, uh, others as a wife beater um, or just a, a vest, a sort of green vest with their Cameroonian logo on it, made by Puma. Um, this was banned by FIFA, uh, a kind of lack of sleeves deeming it unsuitable for a competition of such stature. And they kind of had to sew on these black sleeves. And I presume they chose black as a kind of sign of mourning, what would have been one of the greatest World Cup kits of all time. But like, I want to know from your guys' point of view, like, what do you make of that? Would you be comfortable playing football in what is ostensibly a basketball top? I mean, if it looked good, I would definitely, definitely wear it. And you can rock it. And, you know, kits are kind of, it's kind of like the new Arsenal kit. You know, in like 10 years' time, it's going to be, it might be iconic. Like, maybe if we beat like a big team in it. So I think it might have been a look. I would rock it. Yeah, retro kits, are, they're just getting cooler and cooler and more fashionable and more fashionable to have the, the coolest retro kit. Um, 
And I think that in some ways could be like one of the coolest kits to have your hands on. I, like, I'm not sure how many of them were out there or like sold, especially in like Western kind of society to get on these like basketball style kits. They're really cool. Um, and I can't think of anyone who would look sillier in one than me. So I, I really want one. Um, but uh, otherwise, just I don't know um, what kind of conversation took place between FIFA and Cameroon in terms of why they were like, you can't do this. Obviously, it's different. But actually, just off the top of my head, if you think about it, it's kind of cheating. Because in theory, if you tug on someone's shirt, you know, you, you should get a foul given or whatnot. But Sometimes we know that doesn't always happen. And so in theory, there's less shirt. There would have been less shirt to tug on, you know? So actually legitimately, like, that is an unfair advantage, even though it's cool. Sure, but then they should ban long sleeve tops for football. Yeah, I mean, well, the difference I think, between yeah. that. <laughs> Talking about unfair advantage, did you guys see that picture of Adamo Traore getting oiled up? Before Wolves is your yeah. I don't know, is that really what's happening in that picture? Yeah. Or, or is he just glistening? Definitely. I mean, it did happen. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Well, that like is unfair more, advantage. Like more so I say get rid of the sleeves. Well, it's, it's harder to like bring him down as well if he's all I've never really about that, yeah. slippery. A slippery <laughs> Adam Atrore. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's quite interesting now that you think about it. All these little things that I'm sure there probably are players who are doing little things here and there. I remember the stories of Ronaldo at Madrid a while ago wearing a special like. Uh, mouth guard type thing to like align his back better or something like that so that he could in theory jump better blah 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 they're all all these clubs you know what was it uh robin van Persie? they flew him to like transylvania to get like a horse placenta <laughs> like surgery yeah. on his on his ankle like there's things that football clubs are doing that are, biz- that are bizarre so yeah the short sleeves is definitely not the weirdest in terms of trying to get an advantage i think we should embrace it I agree. I agree. Make it compulsory um, for all football yeah. teams to wear these vests. Yeah, no, I think they were trendsetters, Cameroon, and people should have gotten on with the cause. Otherwise, we kind of started this section talking about shocks on the pitch with France and, and Senegal. And so just some honorable mentions I would like to give to Argentina, who were eliminated at the group stage. We'll talk a bit more about them later. Uh, the USA versus Portugal match that USA won 3-2. Germany versus Ireland. Robbie Keane scored a 92nd minute equaliser in the group stages against the Germans. Turkey, who won third place playoff against South Korea, the host nation. So Turkey made it all the way to the semis and then won the third place playoff. And then Mexico against Italy. Uh, Jared Borghetti, once of Bolton fame, scored probably the best header I've ever seen against Italy. And just on that note quickly, given that I was you know, finishing talking about a brilliant goal. I guess, John, I'll ask you first. Was there a special goal from that tournament that you can remember? Uh, what, from watching the Sony England goals, I think the one I would, well, we're going to talk about later, is the David Beckham penalty, because it just meant so much in the game. And his celebration, if you watch it again, his celebration is, like, absolutely crazy. It's so passionate. And... Uh, to be honest, it wasn't a great pen. It's like kind of slightly off the middle and the keeper could have got there. But, you know, he still scored it. So I guess it's a good one. But yeah, I think that goal really stood out for me. What about you, Joe? Um, I'm not sure about a specific one, but Ronaldo had a load of great finishes at that tournament. And he just was like, yeah, so composed and so 
lethal, basically. Whenever he was played for on goal, he basically scored in that tournament. So I remember, yeah, as a as a young boy at the time, being quite impressed by that. Yeah, and I guess if we're going to reference Cameroon's fashion, we can't really uh, leave out Ronaldo's haircut, that infamous sort of yeah. wedge. Uh, and then one of the weirdest haircuts I've ever seen, potentially. Yeah, there's a great Actually, video. If he'd been playing for Cameroon, just him in that haircut. Oh, yeah, just double that would have been brilliant. I was going to say there's a video going around now of a dad, a kid asking his dad to give him a haircut like Ronaldo, obviously CR7 Ronaldo. And then uh, the dad, like, it pans back and the kid can't see, I guess, because there was no mirror when it's happening. And he's just given him the R9 2002 wedge haircut and the kid's like on the verge of tears and the dad is just like beside himself with laughter it's 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 brilliant um <laughs> what about you yoni uh, any wonder goals any memorable goals so there's one and i've just looked up the player who scored it because i had no idea what his name was um in a game between denmark and uruguay um dario rodriguez scored one of the best volleys i've ever seen i think it maybe it might be like diego forlan who tees him up he looks like he's about to shape to shoot then doesn't Volleys it to Rodriguez, who it's the first time it like flashes past Thomas Sorensen into the top corner. Um, and I remember that from like the World Cup 2002 DVD goals of the tournament that I had. Um, that's just stuck in my mind for the last 18 years. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. Kind of a, a looping volley into the top corner from the edge of the area. Against, yeah, Thomas Sorensen in that uh, classic Hummel kit. Oh, we, we need to mention the Ronaldinho goal as well, surely. Well, we will, John. We will. <laughs> <laughs> Just like we'll get back onto the Beckham penalty. <laughs> but... I mentioned earlier in the intro that this World Cup wasn't without its fair share of incidents on and off the pitch, and a few of them were a bit less wholesome than the controversy surrounding the Cameroon kit. We're going to be chatting about a few of them, and to get us started, I'm going to bring up kind of a funny, kind of a shameful story. Uh, it's the story of Rivaldo against Turkey. In a tight group stage encounter between Brazil and Turkey, which the eventual winners of the tournament Brazil would come out to one winners, one of Brazil's key men, Rivaldo, is wasting time before taking a corner. The ball is sort of there for him to retrieve and get on with things, but he just leaves it. And so the Turkey player, Hakan Unsal, gets fed up of waiting. And instead of simply passing the ball to Rivaldo, he kicks it kind of forcefully and it strikes Rivaldo around the knee. Not the best decision from the Turkish player, but oh well. What happens next, though, for the Brazilian are some dramatics more suited to the streets of Rio during Carnival than they are a football pitch. He immediately grabs his face after he's been hit in the knee, let's remember, with the ball, and proceeds to ride around on the ground clutching his face. What compounded the issue was that the ref bought it and Hakan Unsal was sent off. Rivaldo was later fined four and a half thousand pounds by FIFA, so there was some justice and acknowledgement of wrongdoing. It was a unique moment and something that couldn't really have played out like it did or might not have even happened at all in this age of VAR that we've now entered. I do wonder as well whether a young Neymar was watching back in Brazil and was inspired to one day out-dive Rivaldo. Anyway, John, you've got another special story for us, don't you? I certainly do, Kaitel. Uh, I'd like to bring it back to Saipan, the infamous Roy Keane versus Mick McCarthy incident. Uh, Roy Keane and Mick McCarthy would make a great boxing match, 
so Eddie Hearn, if you're listening, we I'd definitely pay money to see that. But obviously, it's been years since the incident, and uh, for, basically, Roy Keane just walks out. Uh, this man, this myth, this Irish legend just walks out of training uh, after having a huge bust up with uh, Mick McCarthy. And Clinton Morrison, who was in the squad, essentially said that they turned up to this massive training base trying to get ready for the World Cup in their, get ready in their heads. And they turn up, there's no, there's no kits, there's no footballs apparently, there's just nothing. And it's... <laughs> Like the pitches looked like Sunday league style, apparently, with like sand in the goal and stuff like that. So, Matt, can you imagine Roy Keane's face coming from Man United, the most elite club in Europe, to this terrible training camp with people? And he looks around and he sees Clinton Morrison mucking about and, you know, players like that. He was absolutely fuming. And apparently, he said to Mick McCarthy, uh, You were a bad player anyway. You had a rubbish first touch, and you're a poor manager. The only manager I respect is Sir Alex Ferguson. And then he said, and you're English. You're not even Irish, which was the nail on the head, uh, I think, for Mick McCarthy. And apparently, <laughs> Roy Keane was st- stood up in front of everyone, going, go on then, come on, Mick, make a decision. Come on, what is it? Do you want me to stay or go home? This is a disgrace. And Mick sent him home. And <laughs> it was all over the news. And I, I do have vivid memories of the time that switching on like Sky Sports News or the Sports News and you know, just be videos of Roy Keane walking his dog <laughs> while Ireland were limbering up for, you know, a, a World Cup clash. But it didn't really affect them. They got knocked out in the round of 16 uh, penalties to Spain. So I don't know if it affected them that much, but... Yeah, what an incident. Yeah, you do wonder what might have happened for Ireland at that World Cup if Roy Keane had been around. I mean, basically their best player, obviously they had a young Robbie Keane coming through as well. But like you said, they did get, they were only narrowly beaten by Spain in the next round. And maybe, maybe an even better story could have happened if, if he'd stuck around. Interesting Roy Keane as well, just like there's these characters in football who unless you support the team that they play for, and even sometimes when you do support that team, they're just like this villain. And Roy Keane, I would say, is one of them. Like Jose Mourinho is probably one of them. Uh, but Keane, yeah. he's just like, but he, he leans into it so hard, Roy Keane. Whether or not it's he's aware of that and he's playing up or if that's genuinely who he is, I would hope it's the former because otherwise he's just quite an unpleasant man. <laughs> but um, yeah. Like, By the way, the next day they went to a you know a, a new training complex, you know, and they right. had everything there. So the next day, so like, he, he could have like waited, himself. you know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there's an, another recent uh, video of in the aftermath of Aston Villa staying up on the final day of the season, a great clip of uh, Roy Keane and Michael Richards watching like footage of Villa celebrating in the changing room after the game. And Roy Keane's just like, he's just like, I don't get it. Like, I'm not going to do the accent, sorry. But he's just like, he's just like, I don't get it. Like, they've stayed up. Cool. He's like, why are they celebrating? And it's just like, Roy, mate, come on. Like, you, like, and then Micah Richards in the other chair with, you know, they both have Villa affiliations. Roy's probably just got sour grapes. And Micah Richards is just like laying into Roy Keane. I love Micah Richards. He, he's, he's like the, the hero that we need. Probably not the hero that we deserve. But um, I'll I think it. both of them are great to watch, aren't they? They're like good cop, bad cop fantastic yeah. to watch. I wonder how well they get on or if they don't. <laughs> the other weird thing about Roy Keane is he said the only manager I respect is Sir Alex Ferguson but clearly since he said that 
you know, yeah. hated him. And he recently said in an interview that like the best manager he ever worked under was like undoubtedly Brian Clough. So yeah, he's <laughs> a, he's an interesting feather. Yeah, Brian Clough, Mick, uh, Alex Ferguson, Mick McCarthy in that order. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great flag. That should be on the flag. Who was he? Was he under Martin O'Neill at Celtic? Yeah, I, he didn't. Or was it Neil Lennon? No. Gordon Strachan, was it him then? Oh, maybe Strachan. Yeah, yeah, one way or another, he doesn't rate Mick McCarthy, that's for sure. Uh, Yanni, what do you have for us in the way of controversy? Yeah, controversy. And you mentioned earlier that South Korea were one of the two hosts of the World Cup. It was the first World Cup to be hosted by two countries. Um, They topped a group containing USA, Portugal and Poland, which was no mean feat. I mean, I don't think anyone particularly fancied them before the tournament. They did so convincingly with seven points. Um, Then the issues start to happen, shall we say. In the round of 16, they face an Italy team with some some of the best players in the world, really. You think Buffon, Maldini, Vieri, Totti, Del Piero, all starring for them. South Korea are given an early debatable penalty, which Buffon saved. Then a litany of decisions go against Italy in that match. Totti is given a red card after a dive, quite controversially, as well because I think sort of cards were given out less readily for dives back then. Um, uh, Tomasi goal was wrongly ruled out for offside. Um, then South Korea weren't penalised for a couple of indiscretions. There was a two-foot challenge by Choi Jin Chul, sorry if I'm completely butchering that name, um, on Gianluca Zambrotta, and Kim Tae-young with an elbow on Alessandro Del Piero went unpunished. Then in extra time, and we might talk about this later, the golden goal rule came into force when Ang Yon won, nodded in a winner three minutes before it would have gone to a penalty shootout. His loan spell at Perugia was then cut short. Such was the outrage in Italy at what was alleged match fixing. There was an investigation into the referee Byron Moreno from Ecuador, although Sepp Blatter of all people, a very trustworthy man and one who would be able to spot corruption anywhere, um, deemed it human error rather than anything more, um, more nasty than that. And it should be said in mitigation that Christian Vieri did miss a couple of sitters to win the game for Italy. So maybe it was just a one-off. Cue the next game, a quarter-final against Spain, who had just beaten Mick McCarthy's Republic of Ireland. There were two Spanish goals disallowed, which looked perfectly fine. One for a very minor pull of the shirt in the box. And then the second one, I think it was Fernando Morientes, who nodded in the ball from a Joaquin cross. The ball was adjudged to have crossed the line for a goal kick, even though replays show that it just quite clearly hadn't. Both prematurely ruled out as goals. And then South Korea would go on to win that game on penalties, even eliciting the congratulations from the chairman of the North Korea Football Association at the time, um, which was an odd isolated incident of uniting North and South Korea. And if you're getting an endorsement from North Korea, then again, maybe you should, maybe there is a suspicion that something fishy is, is going on there. Um, South Korea would ultimately go on to lose the semi-final to Germany and Michael Balak scoring the winner for them. But I mean, what do you remember of South Korea's campaign? It was quite extraordinary to see an unfancied host go so far in a tournament with such dramatic games and controversies surrounding them. My overriding memory of that South Korea side 
think might have been the goalie, unless I'm a tournament out, but I want to say Lee Woon Jai. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it would have been him. Uh, I love that guy. <laughs> um, he was, in my mind, their star player, um, which probably sounds about right, because it didn't seem like they were blowing teams away. They were kind of literally having more goals scored against them. But then the referees would just disallow some of them. So they, they had a, a Lee Wen Jay as well, probably making a lot of saves to thank. But yeah, they were you know refreshing. It's always nice to see the home team do well, isn't it? Um, I think Jason Park and Young Pio Lee would end up at Tottenham. Both had quite impressive. Yeah, but they're no they're no Lee Wen Jay. No, <laughs> no, they're not. That is that is true. Um, yeah, I think the thing is like obviously it's a really nice story that South Korea got, especially that South Korea team who they didn't have like a Son Heung-min in their team and they got to the semi-final. But yeah, obviously, as Yoni was saying, these, the, the stories from the Italy and Spain games are, um, I mean, you've got to assume something dodgy was going on, especially if Sepp Blatter was like, yeah, nothing to see here, guys. We're, we're all good. And so, yeah, that just puts a little bit of a dampener on it. But yeah, what, what a story. Um, one way or another, it's a great story. Let's just hope it was for more positive than um, yeah, negative reasons. What do you make of the theory that that could have been the case? You know, that literally there was one, if not two, referees um, who potentially were like paid. And then what do you make of like that as just an act to carry out? Like a referee basically having it in the back of their mind that they're going to make decisions to influence the result of the game. How does how do they orchestrate that? And like, is that even like something that we I think we have we do we think we've seen that happen? Did that is that what happened? <laughs> wow. Well, so looking back at the highlights, it seemed like with that theory in mind that could be what's what's happening um but also i don't know because football's such a random game and like i said sort of if fieri scores these chances unless he is also in on the conspiracies somehow if he scores these chances then it's not even something that we're talking about 18 years later i um, mean if, um, if any other country was going to be in on corruption italy's probably got to be quite high up given what happened in um, syria Around that time, actually. Oh, my God. Maybe we've stumbled upon it, Yoni. It was Italy were in on it, too. Who knows how deep this goes? But I was going to say, like, a sort of byproduct, incidentally, happened as a result, is setting Gus Hiddink's career on a certain trajectory, because he was the manager of that World Cup. And then after that, it seemed like he was hired by any country entering a major tournament, unfancied, looking to get further and maybe, maybe cause a few upsets. And I think he managed Australia at the 2006 he World did. Cup. He got them to the quarterfinals when they were undone by anyone remember? Oh, um, a, a, was it a Totti dive? Or? Yes, exactly. I think Totti, he certainly scored the penalty and may have dived over yeah. Lucas Neal um, <laughs> to get a last minute penalty for Italy in the 2006 World Cup. So these things do come full circle. The 2002 World Cup was always going to be a memorable campaign for the Three Lions. It was our first major tournament where we were managed by a non-Englishman who, of course, um, was Sven Goran Eriksson, um, the quirky Swede. Um, does anybody want to share what they would consider to be the most memorable moment of that tournament for England? As I said earlier, the, the Beckham penalty against Argentina and for David Beckham personally, 
it was absolutely massive. Uh, in fact, he puts out one of his like biggest career moments at getting revenge for 98 when he got sent off and he was Britain's most hated man, famously. And he had effigies of him burning in the streets and his uh, wife's pop career was getting slagged off. And it was all just went a bit crazy for Mr. David Beckham. Uh, so that penalty was a massive uh, redemption story for him. And you should uh, watch the penalty again. The, the passionate celebrations were great. But in the game, there was a few managers playing. There was uh, Mr. Pochettino was at the, black, at the back for Argentina. Uh, we had Mr. Simeone in midfield. And Marcelo Bielsa was the Argentinian manager. Uh, at the time, I remember in South Korea, it was just they were all going crazy for Mr. David Beckham. Absolutely mad. I don't know if you guys remember any of that. Yeah, no, like when England touched down for the tournament, I think um, David Beckham probably was one of the only footballers who, yeah, reputation did extend, I guess, to the Far East at that point. The fact that he was then on the soil, yeah, kind of, he was like a superhero walking around or, uh, yeah, just like a massive celebrity. Um, but otherwise, I, I, I want to say the game that I got most, like, excited about in that tournament, besides the Argentina win, was randomly, I think, the Denmark game, which would have been yeah. the first, first knockout. Yeah, um, the 16, yeah. And it was what I think Sol Campbell scored and maybe Rio Ferdinand or something like that. 3 0 to England, yeah. Ferdinand uh, I think. Maybe Heskey and Owen or something Heskey like that. Heskey and yeah. Owen, Heskey yeah. And, um, yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, I think, because at, at that point you were like, oh, all right, like this England team, maybe we are going places. And then the Brazil game happened, but like maybe, maybe somebody else wants to touch on that Brazil performance. Yeah, the, the Brazil game in the quarterfinals. And I think I'm right in saying that the consensus, at least among the kind of hopeful English media, was that the winner of the World Cup was going to come from the winner of this game. And in fairness, they weren't wrong because Brazil did go on to win the World Cup. Um, I mean, just it was one of those early kickoffs. I remember very distinctly getting in early to school, watching it in the hall with everyone else. Um, and Michael Owen putting England ahead after sort of maybe 20 minutes or so. And that being possibly the happiest I've been as an England fan, like just the kind of sheer innocent elation of England beating Brazil at a World Cup in one of my first experiences of a World Cup. Um, and everything seemed like it was going well before Rivaldo um, equalized just before half time after the jinking Ronaldinho run. And I remember this very distinctly because at half time, me and the rest of my school were taken outside of the hall by the deputy head to tell us all off for booing the Brazil goal as being an act of sort of huge unsportsmanship and this isn't how you treat rivals and this isn't what you do when your team is not winning. Um, and that's a lesson that stuck and has since been ignored by probably many of the people there. Um, so we go back in for the second half and then maybe one of the most iconic goals of any World Cup um, is the free kick that Ronaldinho scored um, lobbying David Seaman in the England net. Now, I've, I've watched this a few times over the last few days. And I am going to put this um, bad opinion out there that it's not actually a mistake by David Seaman, but just an extraordinary free kick with a weird trajectory that ends up basically as far in the top corner as it can go. What do you think? Is that just like a terrible opinion or is that is, is there merit to that? I 
think that when it comes to Ronaldinho, you cannot discredit the man. And um, Seaman was a great goalkeeper, but Ronaldinho is one of the best ever. And like you said, Yanni, he kind of put it into this almost unreachable corner of the goal. So I would uh, weigh in on in favor of Ronaldinho. Having said that, it was quite a defining moment for both of them in the sense that this downward trajectory for Seaman. Go on, Joe. Can I just step in here and ask Yoni and Kaitel which football team they support? <laughs> well, I mean, England, England wants... Hey, we all support one team. Uh, I just, every oh, four years. Because actually, just now, as, as you guys were talking, I put, put the old Zoom on mute and w- watched it back just to, to see. And whilst, yeah, it's a great piece of individual skill from Ronaldinho, Seaman just... He's, he's had a mare there. He's, he's, he's uh, like, okay, so Joe, tell me what Seaman should do differently to what he does he should, to save that shot. Well, he shouldn't be standing in no man's land to start off with. Um, and yeah, it's like, if, for instance, it's a bit, it reminds me a little bit, it's a completely different free kick, but when Joe Bryan recently scored that free kick against, um, what's it called? Who, who Brentford. Brentford. That, yeah. again, it's the, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's, it's an awful mistake from the goalies. Now, of course, he's, he's not anticipating it, but he's in an awful position in the goal that's allowed it to happen. It's the same. When you allow someone like Ronaldinho, to, the, the, I mean, how many players... Like, I agree. How many players would score that free kick? Not many, but is it a mistake? Yes, 100%. And I'd argue if that was Paul Robinson in goal, that we wouldn't be having this conversation. Let me, let me ask you something real quick about Ronaldinho, though. And... For instance, another great goalkeeper who he beat once upon a time, Petr Cech, in a Champions League game. On the edge of the area, Ronaldinho does that little stutter, and then with the outside of his tiempo boot, he, uh, he caresses it into the, into the corner off the post. And I'm not saying it was an easy shot to save, but like we said, Cech at the time was maybe the best keeper in the world. And then again, potentially it might even have been Terry or someone like that who he shoots past. Let's maybe like shift the attention more onto the defender here. There must have been a mistake in there because he's just standing. Ronaldinho's just standing there. Literally, he's just standing there, and he manages to beat the defender and the keeper. So the point I'm making is, is that he produces uh. the unexpected, so that you can't really call it a mistake. Because if you had the uh. foresight to put yourself in a position to stop him from doing what he was going to do, he would do something else because he I, produces things out of nowhere. I, Siemens is one of like the best English goalies of all time, but I'm pretty sure if if David ever comes on our podcast, and I hope he does. One day, <laughs> I'd be pretty sure that he would hold his hands up there and say he got it wrong. I might be wrong, but you know, Yoni, we can we can test this out one day. But <laughs> but yeah, right. What I will say is Ronaldinho is one of my favourite players ever, and it was a really cheeky thing to do to like from that position hit it perfectly into the top corner. Maybe Paul Skull shouldn't have given away that foul. You're, you're directing the anger <laughs> at the wrong Roy, person. Roy, We're going to protect David Seaman. It was Paul Skulls' fault. <laughs> that's what Roy Key would be saying. Like, I don't know why people can play about Seaman. <laughs> yeah. Well, one way or another, it was kind of... Um, it was a massive moment in the World Cup, but often is seen as sort of this novelty moment. But was, in many ways, the springboard of the most successful period of Ronaldinho's career, which is one of the best periods of football uh, played by anyone ever and and he was he did actually receive a red card later in that game for elbowing Danny Mills which is <laughs> quite understandable if the referee was doing his job in the in the book it says that's just a yellow so yeah. <laughs> well, yeah we've all probably at some point when Danny Mills has been 
on TV had the urge to elbow him. So. Yeah, some people grow up dreaming of scoring that winner at the World Cup. Others just dream of <laughs> elbowing Danny Mills at a major tournament. And that's fine. We've got time for one last game to wrap things up today. And as our resident Sunderland supporter couldn't join us today, Billy, of course, I feel finally confident slash foolish enough to attempt the accent for my introduction. It is time for a weird witch Luds. <laughs> can help me myself. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so you guys know the rules. I want that starting lineup. This game took place between... Ireland and Spain, we referenced it already. It was the 16th of June, 2002 at the Suwon World Cup Stadium in Korea. Spain would go on to win 3-2 on pens, so they would have good luck this time in a shootout. But I want Ireland's starting lineup from that day. Uh, not Roy Keane. We can rule him out. <laughs> no, uh, you're right. So I guess we've got, we've got Robbie Keane up front. We, we do indeed. Um, Is he next to um, former Sunderland player Niall Quinn? Quinn's in the squad, and he got on in the game, potentially. Definitely played in the tournament, but not wasn't starting. Well, I'm going to say Steve Finnan. Yeah, Steve Finnan's he's in there. They might have even been playing five defenders this day. Cool. Okay. So, Shea Gibbon in goal? He is. Ian Hart at left back. Yeah. Who, as I was researching his career, I remembered, well, when I saw this, that he played for Levante. <laughs> for a little while, um, bizarrely. That's Obviously, true, he's, a Le- well. he's a Leeds legend, but yeah, yeah who else? And he's just scored three kicks against Arsenal. I just remember him for doing that he was on a several specialist. occasions. Yeah. The, um, what about Richard Dunn? No. I don't even know if he was in the squad, but he wasn't playing. Oh, That's God. a good shout. That is a good shout. Oh, Gary Breen. Coventry <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> wow. and Sunderland legend Gary Breen is, is at the yeah. back. Um. Steve Staunton also at the back. <laughs> yeah, if you got Breen, you have to get Staunton. So, wow. Um, yeah. What a, what a dynamic. Breen and Staunton, just a sort of late night Staunton. ITV drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He both played for and managed Ireland, Staunton, and then he played for Villa and Liverpool. Mm. So, did you say there's one more? Is there like another centre back we're missing? There's a right back, I think. And this guy, so the left back played for Leeds, the right back also played for Leeds. Stephen Carr. Or, or he's, a, oh, he's, he's a defensive Gary, player. Gary Kelly. Yeah, Joe's got it. And Gary, Gary Kelly. Kelly, he played his entire career at Leeds, over 500 games. Um, wow. Impressive. Uh, you guys legend. have the defence and you have the keeper and you have Robbie Keane as well. I I've need got, that I, I think I've got a winger, Kai. Yeah, go on. Damien Duff. Indeed, yeah. Who I was, I was looking at his career. Apparently, after he left Fulham, he went on to play in Australia and then he went back to Ireland as well. Uh, but yeah, Damien Duff. Oh, um, here's one. Matt Holland. Yeah, Matt Holland's in there. Um, what I'll give you for one of the other guys who's left is much like Matt Holland. This guy is also a pundit. Jason McAteer? No, but that's a good shout. McAteer, I think, was in the squad. But this guy even looks like McAteer a bit. <laughs> but... Oh, um, Kevin Kilban. Yeah, it is Kevin <laughs> Kilban. Um, who, besides McAteer, Kilban... Uh, what is it? Uh, Jim Carrey's character in Dumb and Dumber always reminds me of Kevin Kilbert. Um, yeah, that's like something about the smile. It's a good uh, shout. Otherwise, there's one more, guys. And 
Matt Holland was a centre midfielder who played for Charlton. This other centre midfielder played for Charlton. So he's a centre midfielder, is it? That I believe so. Yeah. Um, played for Charlton. Is he uh, quite well? As in, is he is he easier than like a Gary Breen or a? Storm- I was going to say he's on that. He's kind of on that that Staunton Breen uh, level. Oh, God. Um, but I'm just trying to think if there's any other clues that I can give you. I'm definitely sure that Charlton would be the most notable thing. Uh, so you played for Charlton sort of at this time that they were in the Premier League? Yeah, it was that, that Premier League time. And then apparently he's also played for Aston Villa and West Brom, so he likes a Midlands club. And he started his career at Colchester, but honestly, like I said, none of those are really going to help. Uh, he's gone on to have a career in management. His first name is Mark. Uh, Mark Pembridge. No. Oh, is it Mark Connolly? No. That was another <laughs> Connolly. I don't know if it's that. Oh, the marks in football. God. It's one of those ones where you guys are going to be like, oh, it's like, like I said, it's not that obvious, but you, you know. Mark Mosley. No. Uh, you I might just have to give it. Yeah, I, I, I unfortunately don't think, nothing's coming to me on this guy. Yeah, this might be the first time that we've had to concede a, uh, a way which lads, but all right, I'm going to give you five, four, Three. Mark Yates. One. Mark O'Brien. Mark Kinsella. Oh, Mark Kinsella. Bloody Kinsella. There we go. I know, quite quite a tough one. I've actually got, I've got one more. So this next one, guys, uh, another game we've referenced. It was actually the inaugural. (laughs) Sorry, I'm sure that must be loud. So Um, it's got the Titanic passing through next door. Yeah, don't don't mind that. Um, It's just two plates rubbing against each other and causing an earthquake. Yeah, no worries. Um, This was France against Senegal on May 31st in 2002 at the Seoul World Cup Stadium in Korea. Boobadop scored the winner, did the dance. What was France's starting lineup? Should we go from goalie, so starting with Barthez? Yeah, Fabian Barthez. I remember Frank Leboeuf in that clip of the goal. Shiny Barthez sliding back towards his own goal. Frank LaBeouf, one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, the Chelsea fans used to sing, uh, he's here, he's there, he's fucking everywhere, Frank LaBeouf, Frank LaBeouf. And then he didn't want kids swearing, so he told them to change it. And they would then sing, he's here, he's there, we're not allowed to swear, Frank LaBeouf. So I like that Frank LaBeouf story. <laughs> Was it um, his Chelsea teammate Marcel Desailly alongside him? Yeah, yeah, it is. There's another guy who would have played for Chelsea um, in that team too. Emmanuel Petit. Yeah, 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 Emmanuel Petit. Is uh, Turam there? Yep, Turam, whose son is currently a brilliant player for Gladbach in Germany. Uh, Lizarazu at left-back. Lizarazu, who randomly has one cap for the Basque country. Uh, just a little... Oh. <laughs> his, um, his name, he's got that... He's got uh, X's and Z's in his name. Yeah, he? he sounds Basque, the more yeah. we think um, about it. Um, so Vieira, yep. So he's actually, he was actually Senegalese. He was born in Dakar, I think. Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, that's the uh, other song is um, Vieira. Oh, Vieira. Oh, he comes from Senegal. He plays for Arsenal. That used to be his song. There's no other version, Joe, that you know. Okay, that's the only <laughs> version you know of that song. <laughs> he wants to leave the scum. Ah. Uh. Well, anyway. Um, Kai, I think for every player we get now, you need to reveal a song about them. <laughs> if I can, or I'll have to make one up on the spot. Uh, All right, Thierry Henry, I'm sure, plays. Yeah, so you and should know I, I can actually do a song for that, which is just Thierry Henry. 
Thierry Henry, and that's not embarrassing at all. And then um, was Trezeguet up front with him? Yeah, his former Monaco teammate, David Trezeguet. What um, song you got for uh, Trezeguet? Trezeguet, I don't have one, but I do have a random fact about Trezeguet, which is that he randomly joined that club, uh, Hercules. Oh, yeah. Spain, who, like, went through, I think, a bit of a sort of, like, Malaga-esque period where they had some random investment all of a sudden. So they signed David Trezeguet. Um, <laughs> so now I think there's just two more. And one of them played for Arsenal as well. And, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll do that first. Sylvain Wiltord. Yeah, not Perez. It was Wiltord. This last one know. is a legend. If I give oh. you the club, you'll get it straight, oh. straight away. Zinedine Zidane. No. No, this Ooh. legend this legend, oh. played for, this legend played for Bolton. He didn't waste his time. Sam Allardyce is Bolton. Yeah. Not Yuri a Nelka. Jurkaev. Not a Nelka. Oh. Yeah, Yuri's got it. Yuri Yuri Jurkaev, yeah. yeah, Yoni and Joe. Yuri Jurkaev. He was the guy. What a player Yuri Jurkaev was. Um, mm. Any songs for him? Out of interest. Any songs for him? Uh... Yuri Jokayev. Oh, yeah. Well, do, well, do, well. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know that well known oh, song? Yuri, Yuri. <laughs> Yuri, 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 Yuri Jokayev. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Um, Cut that one for free. Where was Zinedine Zidane out of interest? Was he just injured? I guess he was on the bench. Jokayev benched him. Yeah, no, he, he. I think he was injured for the first game or two games of that World Cup and then came in and couldn't salvage it for France. It was too late. And then we all know what happened at the next tournament. Like the team chasing that precious goal in added time at the end of the game, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Joe. Thank you to John and Yoni. Lastly, a big thank you to you, the listener. Please give us a follow on Twitter at BlazersFGPod and on Facebook at Blazers for Goalposts. Until next time, goodbye from us, everyone. <laughs>